for for joining me here. Uh, I, I yeah yeah, and here we are. It's just <laughs> nice to be in touch with you. Yeah, they're they're. Uh, I, I love Toivo. I um, I've actually been with them myself for about almost since their beginning. Um, I work remotely with them. Most uh-huh. of my work is, uh, is my own. I write books and I and I speak and I do things of that nature. But I've been doing workshops with. Toivo, um, like I said, pretty much since almost when they uh, first started and developed a very close relationship with Kelvin and with Darren, the two people uh, that have been there since the very beginning. And we were just looking for ways to to come together um, in a more kind of, I guess, quote-unquote professional manner, working more closely together. And um, so that's when we decided, um, or they decided, you know, or they asked me to come on as their spiritual director and so um, that's what I do with them, and it's wonderful. I, I work remotely because they're in Connecticut, where I'm actually from, but I live up here in uh, Ottawa, Canada now. So I do a lot of my work for them remotely, but then I come back to Connecticut frequently because my family's there. And uh, oh, okay, yeah, I wasn't quite sure because I I wasn't yeah. sure if you just didn't update your uh, your settings, and I wasn't sure if you were in uh, in Connecticut or Canada. I thought I wasn't quite sure. You had me. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, yeah. So I am in Canada. It's it's interesting though. I'm I'm back in Connecticut quite a bit, at least three times a year, and usually for uh, at least one to a month to a month and a half um, stay to visit family to do work in New England and you know speak at various uh, whatever's happening out there with different centers and whatnot. So yep, but I am just speaking to me live from Ottawa today. Okay, so how far are you from Toronto? Uh, actually, about driving about five hours. From oh, Toronto. that's far. Okay. Yeah, it's not right next door. A lot of people think that, and I actually did too until I moved here. But yeah. yeah. But anyway, if you could just uh, well, uh, just introduce yourself, and uh, you talked a little bit about where you're calling from, and uh, if you have, I always like to ask everybody if they have one particular quote that comes to mind that that they would say that it inspires them or inspires their work. Ah, sure, sure. Okay, so well, my name is Chris Grasso, and um, we're talking today. I'm I'm in Ottawa. Ontario, Canada, and uh, I guess a little about myself. I, I don't know. I, I wrote a couple of books. I, uh, I speak at conferences and, and events, and um, I, do, I volunteer my time in rehab centers and hospitals and those struggling with addictions. Um, I'm passionate about working with people, just in 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 regards to healing in general, and um, as far as a Quote, uh, I guess one of my favorites that, that kind of, um, I think, coincides with the work I do is actually from a, an author and a poet named Charles Bukowski. And he had once said that uh, we are here to laugh at the odds and live our lives so well that death will tremble to take us. And I really like that. I often will end um, talks I give or workshops I do with that because I, I really personally find a lot of inspiration in that, living our lives so well the death will tremble to take us. So, yeah, that's a little about me. Um, oh, and I should say, I should yeah, say, yeah. I'm the spiritual director for Toivo uh, by Advocacy Unlimited as well, which is why and how we connected in the first place. So, so I didn't have a bio, uh, I have a bio, but I didn't have it prepared to read today, but i um, very passionate about my work with Toivo as well. So, oh, is anyway, Advocacy yeah. Unlimited the, the same thing, or are they different? They're, they're slightly different. Advocacy Unlimited is the, uh, 
kind of the main um, group of Connecticut, and Toivo is under their umbrella. So they're a subdivision of Advocacy Unlimited. But they all um, do tremendous work in Connecticut uh, for those um, they are looking for various healing modalities. Uh, a lot of it does fall under the addiction um, services mm-hmm. umbrella, but not just strictly to that. You know, we all, in our own way, are healing from something. Right. Well, it's wonderful about offering all of these different means and methods and approaches to really working with whatever pain we have inside, whatever experiences we've gone through, and, and, and finding the ways that work for us individually to heal from those experiences. Yeah, since you're, you come from a little bit of the addiction uh, background, I guess, personally and professionally, uh, one of the things that I'd like to bring up from my own experience working in, in rehab centers in Florida and and also my you know peripheral involvement with the, uh, just from the 12 steps in the AA, is, is that I think that one of the, I mean, they do a lot of the, a lot of people derive a lot of healing from the 12 steps and all that, but I think one of the big flaws is this idea that, uh, like, the uh, people that are addicted are sort of set, um, separate from the rest of humanity, that there's, some, there's something different about them. To me, in my sure. perspective is more that I think we're all, you know, we all have some addictive tendencies and we all do things in our lives to, try to relieve suffering and I mean to me addiction is always about trying to often not always but it's well, a large component of it is trying to alleviate pain or trying to find yeah. some trying to find some meaning in the world and I was wondering yeah, you know, what are your thoughts on that oh I completely agree I mean regardless of what the substance is we all have our own ways of looking to escape from our emotions from our pain right. from you know, whatever life experiences um, we have not worked through. So for some of us, that might be turning to things like um, drugs, such as cocaine or heroin or alcohol, whereas for others, it might be turning towards uh, food or sex or shopping or numbing out with television. So I agree. We all have our own tendencies towards, you know, these addictive patterns. Of course, you know, obviously some of them um, create more difficult life situations than others. You know, the person right. who is addicted to de- television is much less likely <laughs> to find themselves incarcerated than those sure. who went down that road of uh, drug or alcohol abuse. But it doesn't mean that it's really any less severe on the personal, subjective, uh, experiential level. You know, they're right. still uh, numbing out, you know, and they're still sure. suppressing this this pain, this, you know, the uh, pain or traumas or whatever it might be that is within. So... I, I appreciate that viewpoint that you share. Um, it, it, yes, we the the drug addict perhaps might have a bit of a different brain chemistry. You know, our brains may have developed a bit differently, which starts in childhood. Um, that actually is discussed by a wonderful man named uh, Gabor Mate. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of yeah one of the addiction specialists. Uh, of the world, and and yeah, that's I just saw him speak in. North Carolina last week. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, he's tremendous. I just interviewed him for a new book I'm working on myself a few weeks ago. And oh, awesome. Uh, it was a very insightful and profound conversation, yeah. of course. So I love his perspective on it. And he uses his own example, saying that he was addicted to purchasing <laughs> classical music. music. Yeah. yeah. So he says, look, I, I didn't struggle with the drugs or alcohol, 
but my behaviors were very much the same. The obsessive compulsive thinking, the right. sneaking, the lying to his wife. So absolutely, we all in our own ways have, you know, these addictive tendencies. Yeah, and I also saw that you, uh, you're connected with Noah Levine. Yeah, Noah wrote the uh, forward for my first book. Um, and he has just become a friend over the years. I really uh, appreciate his approach to the teachings of Buddhism and, of course, his newest endeavor with what he calls refuge recovery. Um, yeah. He's great, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted to talk about specifically. I've been trying to – I haven't made it out to one of their meetings. I really would like to see how they, they, they uh, how they're conducted and the vibe there. But I know it yeah. seems that they have a center in Asheville where I was about a week ago. But uh, I know they're doing some meetings here in South Florida, but I haven't made it to one. But uh, yeah, uh, they're uh, looks like they're they're trying to develop they're starting to develop a bit of a following down here. But just the, the twelve steps I feel are so prevalent that it's hard to really they're sort of over overshadowed uh, overshadowed by that. But uh, yeah, I was wondering yeah. what uh, your um, if you could talk about if it, had you uh, participated in that at all, the refuge recovery or what? Yeah, when I'm when I'm back in Connecticut, I do. There's no meetings here in Ottawa at right. this time, but there's like four or five in Connecticut, which is great. There was only one or two in the beginning, and then a few more uh, have popped up recently. Um, and it's it's cool to see that they are actually popping up more and more throughout the U.S. And there are some in Canada. There's some throughout the world. Actually, they're they're spread out worldwide, um, but. You know, what I like about it, and this is not to take anything away from the 12 steps because I also see value in those fellowships as well. Right. Uh, but what I like about Refuge Recovery is for those people that just cannot get past some of the, the terms used, you know, a lot of the God language and whatnot. Right. It's just really, really hard for some people. So the Refuge Recovery approach uh, does take out that language. And it's not that it's just simply the 12 steps minus that language. It does take more of uh, the approach of meditation, which of course right. you'll find in 12 steps, but it really looks at the, the source of suffering, the, it, it, through the lens of Buddhism and looking at the craving and desires, mm -hmm. you know, all teachings you'll find in Buddhism, but in relation to whatever substance it was you were using, you know, as a means of escaping. Right. Um, and the meaning formats are pretty cool too, because they'll start with usually uh, a guided meditation. It's roughly right. about 20 minutes or so. And it might be on loving kindness. It, you know, there's there's a few different topics, but they'll guide uh, those there through this 20-minute meditation. And then they'll do a, a reading from the book. And then it opens up to a uh, discussion. And that's the general format of the meeting. Wait, the reading so, from the book, what, what, what they use the 12 stuff? They have their own book? Oh, sorry. No, they, they use the Refuge Recovery book as their okay, own core text. Yeah. So they'll do a reading from that book. And, uh, you know, I've talked to Noah about it, and, and Noah made a really cool point to me, was he said what he has found with Refuge Recovery is not only does it provide a, a place for those who just can't find their footing in the formal 12-step fellowships, but what he's also seen that he did not anticipate is that it has allowed a lot of people that didn't feel comfortable there to, once they worked with Refuge Recovery a while, to actually then go on and also work with 12-step fellowships. It's just something about, you know, getting more rooted in in this recovery process in whatever way, you know, works for the individual. Um, but then it allows them to open up a bit more and to relinquish whatever, you know, hesitations they had. I mean, based on the major point, I don't know if you've seen this TED Talk about that. Uh, 
I really like his sort of mantra from the TED Talk is that the opposite uh, of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. And to me, my perspective is, is that to me, the secret sauce of why the 12 step works when it, when it does isn't really necessarily about the, uh, their teachings. It's about, it's, it's providing that fellowship and the connection and, and the, and that people often, you know, one of the reasons when they get involved with problematic, uh, addiction is that they're, they're lacking a meaningful connection in their life. And I mean, mm-hmm. spirituality, uh, can provide more of a nourishing form of connection or why I think often spirituality is, uh, helps people heal and recover. And I was wondering what your, uh, what your take is on that. Sure. That, you know, that, that certainly resonates for me. Um, you know, in my own life, I've noticed with uh, a lot of the times that I've relapsed, it was because I lost that connection, you know, whether it was with a uh, a network of recovering people or family and friends. Um, almost every time, not every time, but almost every time, I would tend to isolate. I'd often be living um, by myself in an apartment, and I was never one of the kind of uh, drinkers or druggers that would really go out and do it in public. I would just usually be by myself in home or at my apartment and and doing it. So there was no real connection. The other side of it, though, is that I do believe uh, it's important to uh, explore that there really are these wounds and traumas that we have within ourselves. So connection is wonderful. That is certainly a core uh, aspect of healing in the recovery process, but also addressing what is going on within us because if we have this connection that's great but if we still have these wounds they're going to continue to come up until we deal with them until we look at them we walk through them you know again whatever way we find that works for us to do that and there's no shortage of them so i think he's very very much onto something with that connection absolutely but uh and, and i don't know if he goes on to talk about this in his book or not but you know dealing with that that pain within ourselves that is of equal importance as far as my at least my direct experience oh no I, I, I agree absolutely uh, yeah. he, I mean the, the book is more focused I mean he's not he's a journalist and he's more talking it's more about the history of the war on drugs and and sure. examining different uh, like policies in other countries like Portugal and other parts of the world that handle drugs drug policies differently it's not really focus so much on the healing I and mean, it's taking more of a broad perspective not really looking on the individual healing uh process yeah. so much but and i was also wondering what your if you could i'm wondering what the in terms of the refuge recovery community if you could speak to this what, what is their take regarding uh harm reduction practices you know i i don't know what their uh take is i really don't so i i don't know I couldn't speak on behalf of them, Noah, or someone you okay. know, more directly affiliated. Because I, I attend the meetings, but I am in no way, like, officially involved with them. Um, right. I, you know, I, I appreciate their work in the world, and I have suggested people check out their fellowship. But I really, I don't know. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, that would, uh, yeah, like I said, it would just, someone from their camp directly would have to respond to that. Oh, but what, I guess one of your own particular take on harm reduction Sure. I mean, my own take, um, it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. Um, I was speaking yesterday with a friend, um, actually someone I have not talked to, and, and boy, it's been probably about a year, someone I went to high school with, and 
and I know he's had his struggles with addiction. Uh, he Last I knew he was sober, and, and that was good, but we hadn't talked in a while. I got this phone call yesterday evening, or a voicemail from him, and I could just hear the pain in his voice. And he said, you know, I need you to, to call me, like, as soon as you can. And so I called him uh, a few minutes later, and, and he told me how uh, it was four days ago he had well, sorry, about a week ago, he went back to heroin, and uh-huh. he, uh, and in a matter of four days, he ended up uh, overdosing, and he died for 20 minutes, and they had to use Narcan to bring him back, and, right. uh, and you know, that was really hard to hear, and so as I talked to him yesterday, it's been four days since he got out of the hospital, and he had, uh, he has a, a, a meeting scheduled on Wednesday to go get back on methadone, and I've used methadone personally as a form of harm reduction, and uh, and it, you know, so it's it's tricky to me talking to him in that moment. While I'm not a big fan of it, if it's going to keep him, at least for the initial stages, off of returning to heroin and potentially overdosing again, then I'm all for it. But as you know, I've seen and, and many have seen time and again, you know, we get on these certain things, you know, whether it's methadone or antabuse or alcohol or whatever, and we just become completely dependent on that. Right. And uh, and it acts as this crutch that we never are able to let go of, you know. So we're just locked into something else. So, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's a very tricky topic. And uh, I think at the end of the day, it's really a case by case scenario for each individual regarding harm reduction and where they're at and what they are sincerely able to do. Right, but, but, but I mean, if you look at it in more the broader broader context of harm reduction uh, of what it's about, the way I look at it, like, I mean, you go to 12-step meetings and, uh, you know, you have people smoking cigarettes, chain-smoking cigarettes or uh, drinking tons of coffee, and both their uh, nicotine and, and coffee are uh, – or uh, psychoactive drugs, uh, they, they and it's just sure. sometimes we don't look at them that way because they're so socially acceptable. Whereas, um, I think their whole because of that, their whole logic of, of that that if uh, that somebody who's an addict that they can't take any mind altering substance, it just doesn't really make sense if you look at how most of the people in recovery actually practice. It's just trying to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be more. I mean, I think it, to me, my perspective is more about obviously, you know, the terms of how dangerous something is. Heroin's would be a lot more dangerous than um, than cigarettes. But it's to me, it's more having a more of a mindful relationship to to things that change your mood and really just trying to live in more of a mindful way. I, and I like that. You know, I I appreciate that. Um, you know, your your take on that. I, I often, I cringe, not cringe, but, you know, these days I don't like when people ask, you know, well, how long have you been sober? I understand people celebrate that, and I think that's great. But, it, you know, I really, I started to explore that question uh, uh-huh. about a year ago. You know, what really is sobriety? And I started realizing, you know what, there are times, though, where I will act out in the way that I eat. You know, right. I, I go through periods where I'm really good and I'm mindful and I eat healthy and and then there are other times where I find, you know, maybe it's just the day, maybe it lasts a few days, but where I will eat poorly. You know, I will eat, like, processed and sugary foods. Right. I will eat that excessively to the point of, like, it's literally the way I used to consume alcohol. Right. And I just, like they say, one is too many, a thousand is never enough. I will go back to the kitchen every five or ten minutes and grab something else just to put in, in my body um, because, you know, I'm trying to avoid whatever feelings uh, that are coming up. 
mm-hmm. it's way less frequently and it continues as my life goes on to get less frequently or less frequent. But those experiences still come up for me. So, you know, is that sobriety? I don't know. I'm not take I'm not consuming drugs or alcohol, sure, but you know, I'm still acting out in other ways in my life, and I'm aware of it happening. So right, right. Well, and, and I and I know people that are in the the uh, the, the program, and they they may be somewhat so abstinent from substances, but they're they seem to forget about it. They you know, most of them do smoke cigarettes, but even, just not even talking about the substances. But they just the way they behave in such an erratic, uh, dysregulated way. To me, that's. To me, that's not. Uh, but, but sobriety, I think, again, it's, it's so focused on not using substances, right. where I think it should be more targeted people behaving in more of a regulated, more sure. purposeful way. Right. Yes. Agreed. And and I like when I was talking to Gabor. You know, he was talking about sobriety, and it's just the abstinence of consuming yeah. drugs or alcohol. It's not recovery. It's just yeah. abstinence. You know, right. It's recovery. Like you, like you're alluding to, you know, it's, it's our behaviors, it's our mindful relationship with uh, every aspect of our lives. And I think you, I heard you say psychedelics before too, and um, and that's something that Gabor also advocates for. With certain oh yeah, I know he's a big ayahuasca, yeah, ayahuasca. Guy. Yeah, yeah. He also will talk about MDMA and mushrooms as well in regards to treating anything from nicotine addiction to depression. Well, and I haven't heard I've him talk about that. I'm not surprised. But I haven't heard him talk about yeah. That. Oh, yeah, he advocates for that. Not, It's not a blanket statement for all people, you know, in all situations. But with some people in some situations, you know, when he talks about these studies that have been done, you know, the uh, the results are, are pretty overwhelming in the positive category. And that's something I've advocated for myself years ago before I even actually read about Gabor and his work. Uh-huh. Um, but in my first book, I write about the fact that, um, I I look back, you know, because I took a lot of psychedelics in my younger uh-huh. years, and I look back and I see the effect they had in my life, not in a negative way, but I see how they were pretty um, big in opening and expanding my consciousness at a younger age. I'm not saying that they are necessary to do that for anyone, but I can respect the impact they had, whereas I look at, you know, the crack I smoked or the coke mm-hmm. that I, I snorted and the alcohol I drank, and they had no redeeming value whatsoever. Whereas these other substances, yes, I see that. And I am friends with people today um, that, you know, still do psychedelics in a more of a quote-unquote spiritual context, the context of awakening and healing. And who am I to say that that's bad? You know, right. I think for them it works, and that's that's fine. I have nothing in No, but, but I think one of the, good, the interesting points about psychedelics in particular is not even just the, the, the chemical structure of, of the, the drugs, which are fascinating in right. their own regard, is the... Uh, Right. Just the way people traditionally use them, and, and especially more in the indigenous cultures, that it, it's uh, yeah. that people have ceremonies around it and ritual, and then they create so much community around it. But they also, yeah. to me, they take more of a of a harm reduction approach to the the, the substance, and that people uh, there's sort of a, there's a reverence for the. Uh, it's not really encouraged to abuse it. It's, it's supposed to be your sort of reverence for the. The plant or whatever, whatever it is. I mean, right. It's, not... it's a very, it's a sacred undertaking um, yeah. in, in all of those contexts. And I think the difference with psychedelics in most cases, or at least in regards to those that are in recovery or looking to heal traumas, et cetera, is they're not taking them as a means of escape, which right. is what is usually the case with alcohol, with coke or with heroin. You know, you're just trying to numb yourself out. 
where it's the polar opposite with psychedelics. These things are bringing all of that muck down there right to the forefront, you know. Right. So it's not like you're taking them to party um, and, and, you know, have a good time. I mean, I mean I'm, some people do. I know I did in the past, but right. they're not the, the go-to, you know, kind of thing where it's just going to numb you out. Um, so, you know, I, again, I do see the, the benefit there and, uh, and for some people in some cases and, um, but like I said in the, the beginning of our conversation, really, it, each individual is unique in their recovery. I, I truly believe that. Well, and I think that's part of what – oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I wanted to come back to that a little bit, and I, I totally agree with you on that one. But, but this sort of this concept that I, I've thought about my own and regarding this, and it, it's very relevant to the, the 12 steps, and I think any other also like peer support regarding mental health, but I – I, I very much support peer support, and I think there's tremendous value in it. Uh, but I, I think one of the dangers is that when people start saying, that this is my experience, this is how I recovered for, from addiction or bipolar or psychosis or whatever it is, and they say, you have to do it my way, and people become very coercive right. and controlling about being right. very uh, pushy with people. So I, I was wondering, right. yeah, wondering what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I think that is the completely wrong approach to take, uh, personally, just speaking for myself. But yeah. um, anytime you're trying to tell someone that your way is the way, like that, that to me is a red flag to just get out, run. And I, and I tell people that uh, I do a lot of writing and speaking in regards to spirituality as well, not just regarding addiction or recovery, but just general spirituality. Right. And I say the same thing. You need to find whatever path, whatever tradition, whatever spirituality looks like for you, maybe it'll be formally religious, maybe it'll have nothing to do with religion at all, whatever. But you need to find your truth. You are the only one living within your body. You're the only one having your experiences. You are the only one who will know what really resonates as true for you in regards to spirituality, in regards to recovery, in regards to life in general. So, you know, I the only thing I ever advocate for is I advocate for those to take a look within themselves and find their truth. And 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 that's not to say you can't look outside for help, for, for pointers, for guides, but you've got to always look within and, and you know, what is true for you? What is true? That, at the end of the day, uh, is the only thing I think any of us can really count on. No, no, I, I, I agree, but I wonder if you have any ideas in, in regarding, uh, you know, peer support groups, how to prevent that from happening, people telling people what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's possible to prevent it. You know, yeah. how do we prevent uh, ISIS from bombing? How do we right. prevent, um, <laughs> you know, any, how do we prevent the people that attack Muslims, you know, for wearing, uh, you know, the clothes they wear? I, I don't know. I think I I think all I can do personally is is share you know my experience when i write and when i talk and sure. collective groups like toivo that i'm affiliated with you know they show up and they offer instead of you know trash talking something else they they are like gandhi says they're being the change they wish uh -huh. to see in the world so, you know they're offering another approach a, a more integrative and holistic approach and one that basically says come as you are you know like right. come as you are be as you are when you're here. We're not pushing any agenda. We're just here in the spirit of recovery and healing, you know. And and that to me is is, is I guess how we would combat it if if we're to combat it at all. Yeah, and, and I think that the key is also from my own analysis of it is that trying to show that 
you can do it. You you know, places like Toivo can do their thing, and they can be viable and successful uh, doing it the, their way. I mean, to me, that's often the challenge why a lot of people um, subscribe to a lot of these things that I think aren't very true and aren't very helpful, but they just have a lot of power and a lot of financial backing, unfortunately. But. Yes. Yeah, no, you're very much correct. And I look at a lot of the uh, rehab facilities I went through when I was younger, and it's not to say I didn't learn anything from right. them because, you know, there I certainly did, and I learned about addiction, and, you know, and, and, and that was fine. But it was a very straightforward, you go to the 12 steps, you don't use, and that's that's what I got. You know, that's what's still to this day. A lot oh, of well, I know. Did you ever go to any recovery in Florida? That's what I was wondering. I went, yeah, actually one of the uh, rehabs I went to was in Florida. It was in, um, ah, where was it? Uh, this man was like 10 years ago. Um, not Miami. Uh, Fort Beach? Lauderdale. That's Fort Lauderdale. No, Fort Lauderdale, yeah. Oh, really? Well, uh, you know the name of it? Or remember? I'm trying to remember. It's so bad that I've been to like about eight or nine different ones. Uh that I can't exactly remember all of them. Yeah. I know this one actually shut down shortly uh-huh. after I okay. do it. Well, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't bad, but it was it was part of a network where they had a few different centers, not just Florida, but I think there was one in California and maybe Texas and New Jersey. Part, it wasn't part of the recovery place. What's that? Not the recovery place. No, not the recovery place. Um God, you know, and of course I'll like remember it later. It'll just hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, but it's really just not coming to mind right now. But yes, I did. I, it was about two months, I think I was in the program down there. Okay. Um, and they took a very boot camp approach. Actually, right. it was the only one I ever went to, but it was a real boot camp. Like you're, you're, you know, really you're calling out your, your right. own BS. And, yeah. I need personally it worked uh, yeah. a bit for me at the time because that's what I needed. I saw how it didn't work for others and um but anyways, the all the other programs I went to for the most part did not take an integrative approach, you know, and, right. and they did not it was just again, 12 steps, don't use, go to meetings. Well, and that's a lot of them are people. going more. I mean, even the ones that are traditionally like that, they're trying, obviously because it's in a way it's almost mandated now that they incorporate yoga or something like that, but it's still to me, it's not uh, it's not enough of a shift. That, that it, it, generally, what I observed also is that this last one that I worked at a, a couple, several months, uh, four or five months ago. That uh, initially, I connected with the, one of the owners, and he's in recovery, and he was saying that uh, you know he doesn't he doesn't believe the boot camp approach doesn't work, and that pe- you know people mm. in recovery need love and compassion and all that, but it. The people they, like that, they say that, and I think he, he does have his heart in the right place, but you know, once people start acting up or whatever, it always goes back, they revert. That's like the default mode of operating, the boot camp approach. They right, sure. They can't sort of sit with the uh, the angst or the, the, the dysregulated emotions and really try to work with it. It's always that it's, you have to be, you have to react be tough with it, and, and, I, and from my vantage point, I really don't. That's not who I am. I don't really believe in it. Right. Yep. Generally not. Like I said, it was at that time in my life. It was. Um, it, it did. You know, it was a bit helpful. But I ended up relapsing again. You know, and yeah. so 
I, it, you know, it was what it was, but I did learn some things about myself. But, you know, again, each, really, each person is unique in their own recovery needs. A, a professor of mine, actually, old professor in school who's, uh, she runs what's called, the, it's called DARC, the Drug and Alcohol Recovery Counselor Program. And she, uh, her thesis for, uh, for her own schooling was about taking a, an approach like, or a, a test like the Myers-Briggs, a personality right. test. And actually using that as a template for each individual that enters into a recovery program. So you where can where have is she based these, out of? Where, she's based out of Connecticut. Um, okay. Yeah, in Connecticut. Um, and it's not that that has been implemented yet, but that was her her, uh, her thesis and, and what she worked on. Because, you know, she sees that, like, this kind of blanket approach to getting sober doesn't work most of the time. It's Like I've been saying, it's an individual process. And to imagine if, you know, each person, we took the time to look at their situation, their circumstances, what they're going through, rather than just, you know, trying to get them in and out as quickly as possible. Right. I mean, that's, 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 that's what I, I, you know, that's what I've always tried to do when I've worked in the rehabs, but I, I generally don't, yeah. uh, I don't really fit in at the, the work, working environment because it's all about just, you know, that machine just trying to crank people in and out and it's, that's what it's, uh, the way they're, they're run, and that's how they're sort of financially viable. Unfortunately, that's I feel. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So uh, you know, and the the other hard part about it is that when state funding is constantly getting cut, because it's usually uh, addiction services are usually or mental health services are almost always the first thing to get cut when money needs to go. Right. Um, it just makes it that much harder to get the right treatment for people. You know, so again, they come in and it's just this broad general approach and, uh, and everyone's receiving the same services rather than an individual, you know, they're not being looked at as individuals with unique circumstances. Right, but, but regarding that, I mean, one of the things that I, I believe that I, and I thought it isn't often talked about enough this way for a variety of reasons that I, I really think that peer support has the potential to really transform the mental health and addiction services if it's uh used properly that uh it could actually reduce the cost and help to tailor the the approach to the individuals. I was wondering uh yeah if you have any thoughts about that. No, I mean if <laughs> it's to me it's one of those cases where, you know, we would need to see it in action to see if it really could do that. And right. if it could, hey man, I'm I'm all for if whatever works uh within reason of course, but to to get a more integrative, holistic approach, an integral look at each individual and their recovery process, then, then great, let's do it. You know, let's do it and let's really get on this thing. Uh, because as we're seeing, the, the statistics just continue to grow and grow. And the people, uh, especially young people, you know, that are dying at rapid rates, right. it's, it's terrifying. You know, it really, and it's so unnecessary. That's the heartbreaking thing to me is that, it is so unnecessary. You know, yeah. if people had had the kind of services that they really needed, uh, and it's not to say no one would die from, from drugs and alcohol, because obviously that's not realistic, but I, in my heart, I believe gr- definitely those statistics would be reduced greatly. And that's the most frustrating thing, that at the end of the day, money is standing in the way of that. You know, budgets need to be cut, this, this and that, you know, ugh. I'm sorry, I'm like getting lost in my words right now. Cause I yeah. Like, <laughs> but but I actually want to go back to one of the earlier things you said. 
related to a harm reduction approach, which I, I think really would also have the potential to to save lives in the broader scheme of things. And how, how you mentioned yourself how you used a lot of when you were using, you used a lot in isolation. And, and I think, yeah, for, particularly with the opiates, there's just stigma around that. If, if if the people were brought out of the alleys and the the, the dope houses and were using in public places, although to actually get that to happen would be very hard. But I think if you bring a lot of these people out of the shadows and you have more people that are acting with people that are active uh, IV drug users, that would help to um, and people related to them, they wouldn't be afraid of them so much. And, and that would ha- just that kind of thing would help tremendously. But. So you mean that the general the general population would see what's actually going on more readily than than not? Right, and, and also just from a practical yeah. standpoint, if somebody is shooting up uh, and, and they've overdosed, that people would see it and identify it and call right. the paramedics and they would sure. be able to come quicker. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, yeah, I hear you saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for a variety of ways. Would, I mean, this problem, it's, um, there's so many different angles to it that it's, it's not, it's not going to yeah. be fixed by one. You know, you're going to have to have policy changes. You're going to have to have, you know, changes in the, the treatment providers. You're going to, you know, you're going to have to, yeah, like those two things are going to be needed to be shifts. To, it's not just about the treatment. It's also about the policy, but, the, you know, it's, they interact with each other. Right. Yes. Yeah. It <laughs> there are so many different ways to approach it and tackle it and uh it would be great to see, you know, that movement continue on. I mean there I know there are people that are working so hard towards it, uh not just in the US but I see it here in Canada, I see it throughout the world. Well, yeah, well, related to Gabor Mate, that he, I know, he helped to develop the first uh, safe injection center in, near outside of Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been so over even, there? Even, I No, I've never been to Vancouver. But, I mean, even, yeah, something like that, it's, you know, it's just, it. God, it's it's heartbreaking to see that, you know, that people still use, but at the same time, right, it's a safe center. You you have eyes on the people. You have, you know, you're getting clean materials. It's... uh. It's the lesser of evils. That's right. Sure. At the end of the day, I mean, even if people don't agree with it for whatever their moral or, or personal reasons, you can't really argue that yeah. you do. If you're if if, the, if you're keeping somebody alive, there's always hope that they can get better. If they're dead, there's not really. Yeah. That's it. So that's in the bottom line. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think you would, you've played kind of this. I mean, that whole, uh, there, there are certain people that are not ready to accept recovery and they're going to use no matter what. And you can't, you know, you're going to just be wasting your breath trying to convince them. But if having structures in place like the site injection to, to monitor them and try to ma- minimize the harm, that, that I think that would be very beneficial. But, yeah. Yeah. I, you're right. There. <laughs> There are those that are not ready, and uh, and no matter what you say or do, I, I was one of them for many years. Right. Like, no matter no matter what you say or do, it's not going to push them to get better, uh, which is very uh, obviously very difficult for friends and family who care. Um, but you know, we each have our own processes, and uh, and and it's just man, the whole thing is is really it's tough. Uh, yeah. Going back to when I was speaking with Gabor, you know, we were talking about what families can do for those who aren't ready, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he was talking about how 
the you know the general approach that most families take because it is hard for them is you know it's one of frustration and anger and and you know they say why why are you using why can't you stop why are you killing yourself and you know he made a very good point and I had never looked at it this way putting yourself in that the person's shoes that's using that's just reinforcing the pain that's there and reinforcing the I'm not good enough as I am you know and so. They're just, it's just continuing that stigma of, of self-deprecation that's going on, you know, for them. And he, he said, you know, what if families instead took an approach where they heal together? Because this is a family issue, obviously, right. you know, it's a family right. dynamic. There is a family pain. So what if the family flipped the script, so to speak, and, and instead of saying, why aren't you doing this? Why can't you do this? What if they said something to the effect of, we see that you're in pain. And we see that you're working with your pain the only way that you know how to right now. We are also in pain, and we are willing to do what we need to do in order to heal. And we would love it if you were there with us to join in that healing. No, and 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 that's so huge. And often often going back to one of the things I said in the beginning, uh, that the idea that the, the, the person that's addicted is separate from the from the rest of us that aren't addicted that are sober and, and to right. me that that's also connected to this family dynamic it's often that you know you have the child that's addicted to heroin and everybody else is okay but they're but they're really not okay they're just covering it up in different ways and it's about allowing their ha- having them helping them to see their connection to the to the addiction which is so hard to do yeah yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's been great chatting with you. Uh, I wish we had a little bit more time, but. Uh... It's been nice chatting with you, too, Jeff. I, I'm glad we had this conversation. I appreciate, you know, people such as yourself that are exploring these very, very important topics and bringing them, you know, more into the light. Uh, be... Well, yeah, like I was saying, I'm, you know, I thank you very much for, for what you're doing in the world and, and bringing these topics out into the public. It's so needed and uh, very much necessary right now. Um, but, you know, just regarding final thoughts, uh, you know, what's coming to mind is the fact that we do recover. You know, it's a saying that is uh, a bit of a mantra in the 12-step fellowships and, and one that's important to me. Um, I, You know, as I wrote in my second book, I... It's true that we do recover. It's also true that we do die from this disease. But, you know, if we start to take more of this integrative and holistic approach in my heart, I believe unquestionably that, you know, the people that lose their lives to this so unnecessarily will be reduced significantly. You know, people do not need to keep dying at the rate that they are because of this uh, epidemic that's happening right now. So, you know, conversations like these are, are a step in the right direction and continuing to to be uh, out there in the world and, and speaking up and, and talking about this is so huge. So, uh, again, Jeff, thank you uh, for taking the time to chat about it with me today. Thank you, Chris. I, well, one of the things I want to add to that, and I feel strongly about it to me, it's uh, having talking about it in the right way because I feel that there's there's often people talk about in very, you know, clear, this is what it's about. They just talk about it in very black and white ways. And it's, to yeah. me, I think it's important to talk about it and honor the complexity of the topics rather than just talking about it in platitudes and black and white yeah. kind of ways. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. All right. Have a great one, Chris. You too, Jeff. Be well. All right. Bye. Bye.